Welcome to Funding Quest, where our quest is to help you find the best funding for your business. I'm your host, Byron Allen, and today I'm back with Gary Sultanian for the second half of our conversation. Gary has decades of experience working with construction lending, so we're excited to continue our conversation with him. Today, he will go over how money is tracked in construction projects and share some examples to illustrate how important it is to keep track of the money going into construction projects to avoid fraud. the draw process. So can you help us understand what to expect as far as what is that draw process? Absolutely. So the, the owner has one responsibility is providing me the loan draw authorization document. I can't tell you how many times uh, an owner has called me and said, I never authorized this draw request and uh, uh, application number five, I never authorized that. And I'll just simply pull the document and say, yes, here's your signature. This is application number five. You asked for 250000 Here's a report that goes along with it. So the only responsibility for the owner is to provide that monthly or whatever timeline they want to use to make those draw requests. So it's an authorization saying, I approve. This is what I want to draw. And it's the same thing with the credit card. As a business owner, you wouldn't accept somebody saying, I'll oh, just put it on Joe's credit card and we'll settle that out later. No, it's like I'm approving this draw request, and so I have to hear it from the borrower. Nobody else, not the contractor, not the lender. The borrower tells me whether or not he wants the money, and then he gets it that way. So if I can just clarify, so you're not paying the contractor without the borrower first approving. Yes. So the business owner is, is approving these draws along the way. Correct. So that's the, that's the involvement of the owner is mm-hmm. providing me that documentation to say, yes, I've seen it, and... I approve it. So just keep in mind that there's a contract between me, the lender, and the borrower, right? But there's also a prime contract between the general contractor and the owner. Just because there's a construction loan does not reduce or eliminate the need for that owner to pay the general contractor. So if the lender refuses to pay, and absolutely has every right to do so, so if I tell a lender that this there's no way that we're going to fund this right now because this is fraudulent or... No, we can't do this, but we can do that. Uh, they said that the work was done, but it's not. So let's cut out the work, but we'll pay for the materials. Yes, we can do that. But that does not remove the obligation of that owner to pay that general contractor. So that contractor needs to get paid. Otherwise, now we have, we have legal issues. So my contract and the funds control agency that's involved with the lender and my company does not remove that responsibility between the owner and the prime contractor. And that needs to be clearly understood. What happens is by default is the the general contractor starts to rely on the lender for payment, which is acceptable because a lot of times we'll pay direct to the general, you know, just to completely bypass the borrower, which is fine as long as the borrower approves of that, right? Mm -hmm. So having said that, now the general contractor every month, and I try to recommend, you know, systematic, it's either the 14th, the 1st, the 5th, whatever you want of each month, try to keep it consistent. Therefore, I know it's coming and I can plan my schedule because I'm very busy. I'm on the site, I'm traveling to different projects, so I need to know what's coming up, right? So the general contractor will then submit this pay application. It's called a distribution form. It's another one of my forms, and it simply says, on line item number five of the budget, I want to draw concrete for 10000 and it's being paid to ABC Concrete Company. So I know this. And then line item number six is Smith Electrical. And I'm paying them 20 grand. 
uh, and I know they're involved, right? So I get this distribution form. And let's keep it easy math. Let's say it's $100,000 for the loan. So the general contractor is going to submit a G702, G703, AIA, the Architect Institute of America form. It's a contract. It's a payment application, and they fill that out. Every contractor should know what this is. I'll accept invoices, but there's a little bit more of scrutiny involved. But that, that G702, G703 are the ones that I use, and it shows what line items they're being paid. They're signing it, and they're showing the retention amount on these contracts, and they're showing this draw, how much I want. And then when I look at, off that distribution form, I've seen ABC Concrete, right? I'll then look at the subcontractor's submittals too. So part of that submittal from the general is also the subcontractor's invoices. And I'll say on this invoice it says for pad construction, for uh, three bar and foundation support, trenching footing. So that could call the contractor and say, did you do this? Yes, I did. Is this your signature? Yes, it is. Check, it's done, because I saw it. I saw the work's been done, and then guess what? I verified with the municipality that the inspections did pass. So we're good there. The same thing with the next guy for electrical. Did he do the pre-slab underground electrical work before the concrete was poured? Yes, he did. Check. So you get paid on this stuff, right? The problem lies in where some contractors will say, I'm not going to provide you that information. That's confidential. No, it's not. It's not confidential at all. I really don't care what your contracts are with your subs because you have a general contract with the owner. You know, it's a million, two million. That's your contract. He approved it, and you're going to get your money through the owner. My concern is with the lender, right? So I, although I'm trying to protect that small business owner, I'm still trying to protect the lender as well, right? So if things go wrong and, and there's hes hesitancy to provide me the documentation, I'll be happy to say, take all the time you need to provide me the documentation. And I usually I get it, right? Because I assure them, I don't care. I'm not going to share it with the owner. It's not my, my responsibility to do so. It's my responsibility to make sure that that sub is doing the work. That's all I need it for. The dollar amount is irrelevant to me, unless it over budgets your budget. So if you're if they're contracted for fifty thousand and now you're at seventy thousand paying them, why? What happened? Was there a change in the contract? Something happened. So again, there's that system of checks and balances that I have. So that's the process, right? After the inspection is complete, I do a complete audit of the budget itself. Where are we? Are we are we trending in the wrong direction? So I've got a proprietary software that I created that I'm able to project out on each line item. Are they going to be good? They've been paid so far. How much is left and how much time is needed? Are they going to be over budget? So I can accurately say that your concrete budget is going to blow up next time because you just don't have enough money. So where are we getting the money from? This is before it even happens. Mm -hmm. right? So and I can say to the lender, look, we've already borrowed or dispersed 60%. They are at 20%. So we're projecting that we're going to be $1 million over budget. This just happened on, a, on another project I was working on. It was a subdivision. Those are so complex, 30 homes. And I simply said to the lender, I said, look, you're going to be over budget. So I suggest you do a call on this, get a hold of the borrower, and explain to them that we're going to be over budget. Where's the money going to come from? So they did an equity call. They required uh, additional equity be on deposit at the bank so that we could just just sit there in case we needed it. Sure enough, that was served as a contingency and they needed those funds because they went over budget. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there, like I said, there's no getting around it. There is a process that I follow and I just don't deviate from it. It's my process. And it just leads to consistency. And the good thing about it is you're discriminating against me, Gary. We're a small project 
and you're just putting all these restrictions on us. No, I'm not. I'm consistent, whether it's the same project uh, or it's a big one or a small one or in, in between, everyone gets the same treatment. And I take pride in that. So I don't have to worry about uh, whether or not I'm doing favors for somebody or not. It's just not part of the mix, right? So that's the, that's the loan process. And then once it's submitted to the lender, the lender will then issue the title policy through you know, First American or wherever uh, you want to use. And then the draws that's submitted to the, the borrower or contractor directly. I'll say that there have been times where uh, the contractor has proven that they just lack candor in their conversations with me. So I would then recommend to the lender that we pay the subcontractors directly. And we do that too. We keep it accurate detail and we'll issue the 1099s to the subcontractors as well, just to stay above the law as where we need to be. So the, the, it's a complete audit process to protect the funds. Sometimes you'll see that, you know, if the, if the contractor has less than, the candor has been less than what we really want, and they took the money, didn't pay the subs, and now there are mechanics liens all over the property, and that just is ugly, and then all lending stops at that point. So I really haven't done my job uh, at that point. I can't prevent a lien from being filed, but I sure can put all the safeguards in place to really make it difficult to do so, right? That's, so that's the, the lending process. Yeah, that makes. I think it makes a lot of sense yeah. that you're really you're protecting the business owner and the lender at the same time. Yeah. And there's so many moving pieces, so many variables, so many ways that contractors could screw the business owner. You know, but if they know, <laughs> Gary Sultanian is checking on everything, and he knows. I think that deters probably a vast majority of those, right? Yeah. So speaking of which, I'd love to hear if you'd be willing to share maybe a, a story or two, an example uh, of where your services have saved the day or, or you know, some examples of, of where they could have helped if they had it. Sure, yes. Well, I, I've seen a lot, okay, since 2006. You got to be careful in markets like this. So markets, are, we're, we're blowing up right now, right? This market is insane. I mean, knock on wood, it's, it's so great. It's so rewarding to be in the construction industry right now. However, because of that, everyone comes out of the woodwork. There's less than desirable contractors, and they're the best contractors. I've worked with them all, and those good contractors are such a pleasure. You know what I mean? The ones that are challenging uh, create a lot of risk, right? And they're out there right now. And then the second thing we're dealing with right now is fraud, wire fraud. And, and, and hacking. So we got to be careful, and I'll talk about that you know, at the end. But um, I think that uh, one of the big major issues we have are something called soft costs, right? So part of the construction project, you have the hard construction costs, and that's primarily what I deal with. However, you know, part of the overall uh, loan package, the owner has experienced some significant soft costs. Those are engineering, architectural, city permit fees, um, you name it, anything to do with the site that's not directly related to construction itself. Those are soft costs. And those are very arbitrary. So how do, you, how do you figure that out? So I work with the owners and the lenders talking with the architects and the engineers in estimating those costs. I'll help them as part of the due diligence, right? And we'll fund on soft costs too. Uh, typically, we'll see that come out of the equity portion that either is on deposit or some other fashion. So if it's an 80-20, uh, type of scenario, debt to equity, uh, the 20% that's there, the owner will pay for those soft costs. But if it's an asset-based financing arrangement, then 
then the lender sometimes pays those soft costs. So how do you justify that? Where does it come from? So I get involved with that process too, right? And I wanted to mention that because they do exist, they don't go away, and that's the gray area that nobody really talks about until, oh yeah, we forgot about all the other stuff I've already paid for. I want to be reimbursed for that. Okay, let's talk about that. How do you justify those expenses? And they're reasonable. I can see. I already know. Um, you know, just by rule of thumb, how much those things are going to be. Uh, municipalities these days, Maricopa County, are you kidding me? You know how much it costs for permits and entitlement fees and uh, variance costs and all that stuff? We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Engineers and architects, fifty dollars to $60,000 for designs and your civil plans for all your sewer, water. And then not to mention the changes from the cities that come back and say, oh, yes, we approved your plan, but by the way, did you know that there's a deceleration lane that you need to build right in front of your church? So when people are trying to pull into the church, they got to stop somewhere. they got to slow down. Well, you're building that. That's another $150,000 that the owner didn't know of, that the city just arbitrarily came up with. So you got to be very careful. So we plan on contingency, 200000 at the bottom end. It never used. That's great. Let it sit there. But it's called contingency for a reason. Uh, and then we have the soft costs. So I just wanted to kind of tell you about that initially. But I have a, an example, well, a real-life situation of something that happened. It was very scary. It was a custom home built in North Scottsdale, way North Scottsdale, almost up in the care, carefree area, right? And it was an owner-bauer contractor situation, all three. And you're allowed to do that. If it's your residence, typically if it's for sale within the year, then you're not supposed to do it. But municipalities, you really don't enforce that too much. So owner, borrower, contractor, right? $1 million loan. The first draw request I get from this borrower, let's call him Craig. It's fictitious, but we'll call him Craig. Submits to me an email saying, I need half a million dollars, draw number one. So I said, okay. Uh, that's not going to work. You need to do your official draw authorization. So he did the draw authorization for uh, half a million dollars. So I got that. So I went out there to inspect it. So no other documentation was provided. And I need that. I need the distribution form we talked about so I know who's getting paid, what. Uh, he provided me a budget, but I don't know how accurate that was. But so I was going off the budget, and I went to the site to look at the site. And I saw that the billing for the labor, the labor wasn't done. The materials that, that uh, he was billing for, the materials were not on site, right? So I, I tried to call him back, and there was no answer, right? And I was just not getting a response from Craig. And so what I do, is, like I normally do, is I call the subcontractor, say, my name is Gary. I'm with Arizona Construction Management. I'm the funds control guy. I'm here to make sure that you guys get paid. So I just want to confirm with you, you know, is this your invoice? Did you sign it? Is this your lien waiver? Did you sign it? Uh, yes, we did, things like that. But in this case, none of that was provided, but I did have the contractors because I saw with them, one of them on site. So I talked to the owner. He said, yeah, we're pulling off. We haven't been paid. We're getting ready to file mechanics liens on the property. So essentially, all work had stopped. So he was asking for 50% completion when the project wasn't really even 30% done. Okay? Can't reach him. Right? So about two weeks goes by, and he, Craig calls me. He said, I, I don't see the money. Where's the money? I said, well, first off, I'm not going to release these funds because you haven't provided me the necessary documentation. Your subs are upset. They're leaving the job site. What's going on over there? And he got, he went ballistic on me. I mean, literally went ballistic. And I, we're talking physical threats of violence. 
So I, I had to hang up. I mean, I, there's no, nobody should put, have to put up with that. Mm -hmm. So after I hung up the phone, I was pretty distraught about it. And I said, well, you know, maybe he's just blowing off steam. Maybe he's having a bad day. No contact. Um, so I get a call from one of the subcontractors saying, I just want to let you know that Craig, he, well, he's in Idaho. I'm like, Idaho? What's he do? He told me he was in Arizona, right? So I said, all right, fine. I still can't reach you. He's not picking up the phone calls. One week goes by, and I get a call from the FBI. And they said, did you pay the 500000 You know, Because the title company knew that there was a draw request. And I said, no, I didn't. I've got a gut feeling here. Uh, we're not where we need to be. The subs are upset. Uh, they're not, the progress is not there. So no, I have no intention of releasing those funds. I think there's fraud. And the FBI, the agent said, we do too. So we're looking for him. We want to question him about signing fraudulent documents. Specifically, one of the documents was a reconveyance, right? You know, issued saying that the, the claims are free from the property, right? So the lender is free to lend on it. So I talked with the FBI. I said, I'll try to find him. I know he's in Idaho, but uh, let me just see what I come up with. And that was it, right? So he calls me. Craig calls me and said, hey, I got some bad news. What's that? My property was broken into and they stole all the appliances, like the, the range, dishwasher, ovens, all that stuff. They stole all the appliances. And so he goes, so I want to increase the loan amount, the draw request, to cover those losses. I said, no, we can't do that because that's part of your insurance policy. The lender's not going to accept that risk, right? So it's going on and on and on. It's one big failure after another, right? So another two weeks goes by. So here we are at about four weeks, approximately, give or take. I've already spoken to the FBI. The lender's no way the lender's lending the money. And I got a call from someone who's saying that they're affiliated with the project, right? So in casual conversation, just like you and I are having, I said, did they catch the guy yet? Did the FBI ever catch the guy yet? And there was this long pause. He said, what are you talking about? This is Craig, the guy the FBI was after. So I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but my stomach just dropped. You know, the, the panic. Like, what did I just step in here? Now I'm in trouble. So I managed to gather my, my, my composure, and I said, no, 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 I'm talking about the appliances, the guy that stole the appliances. Did, you, did they catch me? Oh, no, no, that's good. We're good to go. No, they never got it, so we're just going to move on, and, and I'll have my insurance cover that. I said, woof. And I said, Craig, look, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with this right now, and I, I want to help you, but I can't legally fund your draw request. Not to mention you're not even in Arizona. I don't know where you are. So in order for me to legally fund this, i got to know where you are. And he said, well, I'm in Rexburg, Idaho. I said, okay, very good. Well, let's see what I can do. So I called First American Title. I said, he's in Rexburg. They called the FBI. The FBI contacted the, the authorities out there in terms of the building department. They got the permit. They got the address. And the rest is history. That's where he was. Right? So the exposure, the 500000 the portfolio was intact. The uh, lender did not incur a loss. So that's what funds control does. It's a complete audit process that leverages not just inspections. Anybody can send an inspector out, but you've got to feel the project. You've got to be immersed in it to understand what's going on. You can never stop the intentions of a borrower, but you can stop the actions of a contractor, right? So that's kind of like that. Um, there's another very brief story of a uh, project down in southern Arizona where the owner uh, was, it was, a, it was a medical complex, and the owner was not forthcoming and was using the funds for other reasons, right? So part of my loan authorization form says, I, Bauer, Mr. or Mrs. Bauer, pr promised to use the money for this, this, and this, right? 
Well, this person wasn't doing that. So the lender actually foreclosed on the property. And I acted to give testimony, you know, because it did end up in court to provide information that would justify the cause to foreclose, right? So those are the types of things that are involved in worst case scenarios. 90% of the time, smooth sailing. That's what I like to accomplish. Right. (laughs) So Gary, tell me, as far as like construction risks, right? Let's talk about that. What are those construction risks that the business owner needs to be aware of? Sure. So you, you need, as a business owner, you know, I'm a business owner, a small business owner, right? And I need to understand what I'm getting into when I, you know, have my, so as a general contractor, one of my divisions, I need to understand the risks associated with the project. So when I meet with an owner, I know, does this guy have the money to pay me when I need to? These are all risks associated with construction. When it comes to the lender and the borrower, there are certain things that need to be understood before you even engage in a construction loan conversation. It's really important. I'll just briefly summarize the most glaring ones. The economic conditions, where are we right now? Right now we're smoking, but what's going to happen when interest rates go up? Is that going to slow the market? Absolutely it's going to slow the market. That's what happens when there's inflation. They raise interest rates to stop inflation? No. They raise interest rates to slow the progress of the economy, which then slows inflation, right? So there's a lot of factors that go into So where are we? There's the economic risks we're talking about. This is the type of project we're talking about. Residential gets hit first, pretty much always. If there's going to be a recession, it's the residential side that gets hit because home prices right now aren't the highest they've ever been. So that's why we're seeing so many apartment complexes being built right now because people can't afford to buy a house, so they need to rent. What's going to happen? Rents are going up. What happens after that? Well, because rents are so high, people are going to start to convert apartments to condominiums. The condo conversion, so you see that coming too. That's coming. Uh, it was huge in 2006, right? So there's this process. I, I tell you, I earned a PhD in economics just by doing what I do, you know, to see all these changes. So they're pretty predictable. So, but commercial usually lags residential in terms of uh, recession pressure by 24 months, two years. So there's still a lot of opportunity, even though there's we're seeing the a recession. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it always does, doesn't it? We always see them. It's a normal, healthy process. We just have to accept it and see what can we do now to get through it, right? How do we differentiate ourselves to get through a recession, right? Business owners, how do you differentiate yourself right now? What's going to happen in two years from now if we do see a recession? How is your business going to survive? What are you doing to do that? I think the same way. So before having that conversation, you look at what's the product that we're building. Is it residential, commercial? What are the economic conditions? How many projects is the borrower and or the the contractor involved with right now? Why do I say that? Because there's a propensity to rob Peter to pay Paul in construction financing. He says, yes, we're going to use it for this project, but all the while they're paying the other one that's past due first. So that could be a real problem. That's what I completely eliminate, right, through all the checks and balances. I think that those that you're looking at, uh, other than the interest rate risk, we got fraud out there too. We've, we've got a lot of contractors that aren't worth their salt and they need to be scrutinized as well. So those are the types of risks that we're talking about that need to be identified beforehand. So other things are, are budgets. Are they overestimating or underestimating the budget, the timeframes, 
what else is going on with this project that, that could impact it negatively? So you have to look at the whole thing. And I'm happy to consult with anybody prior to that. I can't, you know, replace a proper due diligence and feasibility study, but I can sure say that, look, this is what you got to look out for, you know, as a business owner, as a borrower, and a lender to say, look, you need to look for this stuff before you even drop a penny on this project or before you approve it. So oftentimes I'm in the underwriting process with, the, with lenders. So I'll contact me saying, look, we're looking at this project. Here's the preliminary budget. What do you think? What is it? Well, it's a multifamily unit. It's this timeline. Here's the contractor. And I'll look at it and say, yes, this looks pretty good. We could move forward with it. Or I think you might want to look at, I don't, I don't know who, who spends $250,000 for floor tile, but I maybe want to take a look at that, right? Things like that that use the background. So those are basically the risks associated with uh, that and entitlement. So what if you get a construction loan and you're getting everybody organized and you're paying interest on this loan already, you happen to pay your soft costs, but the, the municipalities didn't really approve the variances, your zoning request, and that was shot in the dark, or you didn't properly meet with the neighbors, the, the people that live in that community that are impacted by your project, whatever that is. You'll be surprised how many people would rather have empty Coors Light cans on a vacant property generating no revenue than a beautiful multifamily unit that has common areas, a beautiful pool, and generating revenue for the city. They will eagerly oppose it and protest it. That's all part of the risk of construction financing that needs to be mitigated up front before you jump into it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like where we're at on that all topic. Right. Excellent. Yeah. Th this has been phenomenal, Gary. Really appreciate it. Do you have any kind of concluding, anything we haven't covered or any concluding thoughts you have? Well, if you covered a lot, I have to say I really appreciate the time because it's, you know, being a funds control company or agent, if you will, uh, can be a thankless job sometimes and there's not a lot of glamour in it, but it's got to be done. You know, you have, a, you have a mechanic, you've got a doctor, you've got an attorney, you need a funds control agent on your side too. So I think that what I'm seeing more and more now is one big problem that we haven't talked about is fraud. And it's out there right now. And, and just a couple tips to people. What we're seeing right now is um, contractors who are not properly licensed, don't have the proper experience, don't understand the scope of work. They're just in it to make the money. And they'll say anything they need to say to get to work. Believe me, they'll say anything they need to say when they have no idea what they're doing. It happens all the time. And you can tell right away if that's the case. So you want to make sure that your contractor does have references your contractor is licensed appropriately and to demonstrate their, their the projects that they've done and verify that they've done that work with the owners of the other projects, right? So that's really important. The second thing is wire fraud. So what we're finding out right now is whatever type of email platform that you may use, whether it's a Microsoft, it's a Gmail, these things, these programs can be hacked. And these hackers right now, whether they're in a foreign country or here domestically, are very smart. And they're constantly figuring out ways to hack. So what, what the scheme is now, and it has been for the last year or so, and I've seen it happen, is somebody will get hacked. Some developer, particular, why? Developers bring in money. So developers make money off construction projects. So there's money coming in from banks everywhere. These hackers know it. So they, if they can get into a development company, they'll look up the names of development companies, right, who hire general contractors and build things, big things. So what they'll do is they'll find the company and they'll, start, they'll, they'll identify the email scheme of that company. It's real easy to do. So if it's Gary at, at azcmco.com, 
That's my email. You know the rest of the employees are going to be probably the same thing. John at ACM will go to, right? So they'll hack into the account and determine the passwords to get in. And what they do is they read all the emails on the development side. So if they get an email from somebody who is a funds control company or a lender, they'll understand and they'll, they'll immerse themselves into that conversation and they'll slightly change the email of that original sender. They'll send it and they'll completely eliminate the first sender and then they just become that other person. But you'll see on these emails that the, the one letter in the email has changed or there's no information in the body of the email. So I received one of these emails myself from somebody and I responded. I said, what happened to your phone number? It used to be on here. I don't see your phone number anymore. Please respond back. No answer, no answer, no answer. And I was getting upset because I'm trying to fund this project and I'm getting no answer. So I finally called the developer and I said, why are you not responding to my calls or my emails? You're not sending me anything. I said, yes, I've sent you like 10 emails. And it turns out, he goes, oh my gosh, we've been hacked. Several people did. And what, you, what happens is they understand and they start saying, We're, we need that money. Here are the wiring instructions. We need to be paid. Send the money via ACH to this account. And that's where the problem is. The, the developer interprets that as being with the subcontractors. The lender interprets it, that's the money that where it needs to go. If I approve the loan, I don't fund, I approve the loan. It's up to the lender to fund. That's where the problem is, and it can happen to where uh, you want to look at what's the best way to do it. Is it wiring or ACH? So ACH goes through a clearinghouse, all right? So there's more protections. Wiring is more direct, so you can lose more control over that. Checks have account numbers written all over them, right? So what's the best way to do it? I would say if you've been hacked or you have had wire issues, I would physically cut a check and overnight it via, via FedEx and insure it, and then just include that as part of your lender fees, or ACH only. But a phone call, simple phone call to the uh, developer or the person receiving that money, uh, could you read back to me your ACH information in detail mm -hmm. and verify that way? This way there's no misunderstanding. So you just have to be careful, understand, don't trust anybody, especially now because it's going to get worse before it gets better. But as the market corrects, we'll see less of the riffraff and more of the quality contracts are remaining, and we'll start right back square one where we were before, and we'll see this again maybe 10 years from now. So that's where we're at. So I think fraud is a, it's really in the forefront right now. Yeah, so. that's, that's very helpful. Thank you. Excellent. Well, Gary, we have covered a tremendous amount of very valuable information today. I can only imagine that some of our audiences will have some follow-up questions, or like you said, you offered to, you can kind of help point out some, here's what to look for. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. You can go visit my website. is azcmco.com. Or if you um, just type in Arizona Construction Management, you'll be able to go to my website. It gives all the services that I provide. You can email me at gary at azcmco.com. Perfect, Gary. Thank you very much. We sure appreciate having you. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Today, Gary provided a deeper look into the financial aspects of construction loans and how the money that goes into these projects can help highlight the trustworthiness of the people you work with. One of the crucial takeaways from this episode is how to look for the signs of fraudulent behavior and avoid those individuals and companies that seem untrustworthy. 
Gary gave us some excellent steps to take in order to differentiate the licensed and dependable companies from those that aren't. Thank you for joining us today, and we wish you the best on your quest for funding your business. We will see you next week when we sit down with Jeremy Lewis, a veteran senior loan underwriter who will discuss commercial real estate loans and hard money loans with us.